Does going to business school and getting a demanding job mean that your life won't have any balance? Will there be any time left to explore your passions outside of work? Welcome to YMBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm Alex Gradnick. Today, we're talking about passion. We're going to explore that topic with two Anderson grads that do what I think is a pretty excellent job of incorporating passion into their lives. We're going to start with Darren Pleasance. Darren's now the senior vice president of the global strategy group for Cisco. When we caught up over the phone a couple months ago, Darren was at Google, where he was the managing director of the global customer acquisitions group. What Darren's jobs all have in common is that they're extremely demanding and require him to travel all over the world. I live in Oregon, uh, Bend, Oregon now, which was a decision I'd made back when I was at McKinsey, uh, mostly for lifestyle reasons. I just thought it would be nice to raise kids in a place where they could ride their bikes to school and um, spend time on a ski mountain and hike and bike and fish and do all the things that I did growing up. Um, and since with consulting, I was on the road all the time, four days a week. It didn't really matter where I lived. So I, I optimized for call it lifestyle and, and quality of life. Um, when it came to Google, that was just part of the conversation with them was that uh, I was not going to leave Oregon. That was too important to me. However, I did commit that I would spend a lot of time either in Mountain View or someplace else in the world with the teams. I wouldn't be an absentee manager. And so what that's meant is that I've been on the road probably as much in my Google career as I was in my consulting career. Uh, the main difference, though, is that I uh, I get to control when I go somewhere. So there's some power in, in choice. Um, but also to your question, I have my own plan. I've had my own plan for a lot of years and um, I put it to good use basically every week. I fly myself down to work in Mountain View or wherever I'm going, uh, typically on Monday. And I fly myself home on Thursday. If it's a long distance flight, I'll fly myself to the closest international airport and then catch a flight to Dublin or Singapore, wherever I'm going. Uh, and so that basically keeps me very uh, active in aviation, despite the fact that it's no longer uh, the, the, the career that I'm pursuing. Darren and I met when he came to speak in a class I was taking on disruption with Brian Farrell. If you can remember all the way back to episode two, Brian gives a nice description of what disruption is. Anyway, Darren now runs a team of 600 people at Google that's in charge of finding new businesses to advertise with them. Before Google, Darren was a partner at McKinsey. He worked there for 15 years. And while the path from partner at McKinsey to leading a team at Google seems pretty straightforward, his journey to get there was anything but traditional. On the pod today, incorporating passion into your life and job. That might not mean flying a plane to work, but how to make sure you're getting what you want out of your life. Let's get back to Darren's story. Started when I was 13 years old and uh, became a flight instructor, then a um, charter pilot, and ultimately flew for um, corporations and wealthy individuals. I flew for John Travolta for a while. I went to Alaska, was a uh, bush pilot uh, flying off of uh, glaciers and other parts of Alaska, um, and then ultimately landed a job as a corporate jet pilot for a private equity firm in Santa Barbara. It was during his time flying powerful private equity guys around that Darren's eyes were opened to opportunities outside of aviation. I'll let him describe it. Yeah, I think that was largely um, the the fact that when we weren't flying, and generally the way it works for pilots is when you're not flying, then you have time off. And I was in my 20s at that time, and I was interested in uh, in what happened at the private equity firm. And so the principal, uh, who was the, the founder of the private equity firm and, and uh, the person I spent the most time with, was um, encouraging of me to uh, to come into the office if I was interested and work with the CFO 
um, and begin to understand different parts of the business and learn some of the skills. So in that process, I learned how to uh, build cash flow models, do business valuation work, review purchase contracts. So basically over the almost five years I was there, I, I went from um, kind of an associate just beginning to understand stuff to actually very active in the business to where at the end I was probably 20% pilot, 80% private equity associate, whereas at the beginning it was 100% pilot, uh, no, no private equity activity. Darren, that's a cool story, going from the pilot for a private equity firm to an associate. Obviously, flying is a big part of who you are, but how did you think about leaving a job that you were so passionate about for a more traditional pursuit and then the balance between the two? I have a, uh, a point of view. I, I basically say there is no such thing as balance, which sounds a bit extreme. Um, but what I mean by that is, and I did, I kind of, this epiphany came to me in, uh, at McKinsey probably three, three or four years in where everyone was struggling with work-life balance and everyone was working crazy hours. And there's often weeks where it's 80, maybe even a hundred hours a week. And, and so everyone wrestles with those things. And, um, it occurred to me that all of us have the same 168 hours in a week. And so it really comes down to how do you choose to spend those hours? Uh, and what does good look like and being really um, thoughtful and conscious of what good looks like, how much time is spent on sleeping, on eating, on relationships, on things you do for fun. And and, um, and so I broke those 168 hours into those kinds of things around health and happiness and relationships and work. And I kind of put a stake in the ground and said, what does great look like? What does a perfect week look like? Um, and then what I use that to do is to guide myself or, or help calibrate myself when I was off. Because more often than not, I was not living that perfectly um, uh, aligned week, which is why I say there's no such thing as balance because balance implies a level of stability and consistency. And that's just not the real world. I don't think, I think you're always being pulled in different directions, especially if you have kids or other responsibilities in addition to work. I think the main takeaway that's kept me very well grounded was um, that happiness line I mentioned in there. That was all about me. It's like, what time do I need every week that I find important to regenerate and to rejuvenate my own energy and, and really stay happy. And a lot of that for me, for instance, was around flying. And so I just made sure that I would allocate four or five hours on a weekend and go flying. Uh, and my wife, for her, it was horses. She would go do horses. And we would just find ways to make sure that those things didn't get taken away. Um, what I found is that often people get into busy careers and the things that go away first are the things that they love doing themselves. The happiness line, I would call it. The other thing that goes away is often sleep and health. They don't go to the gym. They don't sleep as much. And you know that may be okay for weeks on end or even a few months on end if there's something really important. But often uh, people let years go by without any real grounding on on um, the fact that they are in fact living a life that's very different from what they would construct if they had drawn that chart that I talked about. So to me, it's about choices. Um, it's making choices on how you spend your time. It's about realizing that at moments in time it may be completely fine to be off balance in an unhealthy way. But then know that it's that it's not right and then be making corrections back to what's good over time. And I guess the last point I'd make on this theme is um, I had a friend to have a friend who uh, who says he revisits his career every October 7th. And he asked why every October 7th. And he found that he said, well, I found there were just too many ups and downs over the course of the year. And any one of the downs, I was tempted to just quit and move on to something else. And but then a few months later, the enormous high and he was thrilled to be doing what he was doing. And uh, and he found that those ups and downs were consuming a lot of energy that really wasn't very productive. So he said instead what he would do is every October 7th, he would look backwards and say, am I happy I was here for the last 12 months? And did I, do I feel like I grew and I learned and I'm better off today than I was a year ago? And then similarly, am I confident enough about the year ahead that I think I will achieve the kinds of things I would like to? 
over the next year? If the answer to that second question is yes, then he commits to the next year and doesn't entertain any any conversation in his own mind around whether he should come or go over the course of that year. So I, I think those are those have all served me very well in a you know very challenging, intense kind of uh, kind of lifestyle that pretty much all of us are leading, leading these days. That's a nice way to look at balance. And I love how disciplined you've been about incorporating that passion into your life. I mean, flying to work is not an easy thing to do. I'm curious now, how business school fit into your thought process? A lot of it came down to, I, I was always this weird anomaly inside the PE firm where I'd be the pilot and, they all, and all the senior execs that I would fly around would often laugh that I was this pilot who, oh, by the way, could also build a spreadsheet and uh, you know figure out the value of a business. And, and so I always kind of felt like this weird anomaly, which was kind of fun, but it also felt like I was not really real. Um, I didn't have any, you know, nothing in my background suggested that I should have been qualified to be doing that because I was a undergraduate, was in mechanical engineering. Uh, I had worked at a couple of startups, mostly aviation related, and then done all this flying stuff. So I really didn't have anything that would suggest that this should be a sort of legitimate brand of mine. And so I just felt like going to business school would give me something in my background that legitimized some of the stuff that I was, um, that I was, uh, I was learning on the job. What's, what's interesting is um, I fully expected to come back to that job. When I got to Anderson, though, of course, that exposed me to a whole world of other opportunities out there that I had never even known of, and uh, including consulting. I looked at investment banking, a whole bunch of different roles that, uh, that were pretty new to me. And, um, and ultimately, that led me into the consulting path, despite having assumed I would go back into that private equity path leaving business school. Hearing how business school fit into Darren's journey really resonates with me. I also came to school thinking I would go back into investment banking or media strategy. But my mind was quickly opened by the immense amount of opportunities that are in front of you. I now want to switch gears to talk about Darren's job at Google. I lead a team of about 600 um, Googlers and then over a thousand um, sort of dedicated vendor reps that sit in call centers around the world. And we work closely with our marketing team and our engineering team to uh, sift through the roughly 150 or so million businesses in the world to find the few million or even less sometimes um, of companies who will become Google customers in that year. So it's, uh, although say a million customers sounds like a lot out of 150 million, it's still a very small percentage and kind of a needle in a haystack problem. And so a lot of the work I've been doing has been around how do you take advantage of the massive amounts of data and analytic power and computing power we've got uh, married with the super talented people we've got who are, who are great at whatever role, whether it's the sales role, whether it's the marketing role, how do you marry those in a way that allows us to drive high volume, high quality um, customer acquisitions, so new, new customers, um, in a way that's you know, very efficient and, uh, and effective. And so in a sense, it, it taps into all of what I did in consulting, a lot of analytics. Um, it taps into what Google is kind of known for and really good at, which is, um, which is, uh, uh, utilizing information in a way to help drive business performance. And uh, and I believe strongly in the products we sell. You know, our, our products are designed to help businesses succeed. And so it feels good when you help introduce uh, Google AdWords to a company, they start using it, they discover they can basically access the whole world through digital marketing and through that grow their business far faster than they thought they could. So after business school, you get this awesome job at McKinsey. I mean, that's a place a lot of MBAs want to work. What's going through your mind then? Are you thinking, I'll be at McKinsey a few years and then see what else is interesting? Or did you envision staying there for as long as you did? 
Uh, I was at McKinsey. I thought I'd be there for just a couple of years, like many people are, and move on. And instead, I was there for 15 years and uh, had built a great network. Um, really enjoyed what I did. Was doing well at what I did. I built a a uh, sort of a brand around the topics of sales and channel strategy, around small and medium business, and really wasn't looking to leave. Uh, and then Google approached me. They had been searching for someone to lead a global team, mostly focused in the small and medium business segment. They wanted somebody who had some consulting experience, uh, since there was a lot of strategy involved as well as, as sales execution. And uh, if you read the profile of the type of person they were looking to hire, it couldn't have been more closely matched to the experiences I had had over the prior 15 years. So it actually worked out perfectly. And uh, I ended up deciding that for me, it would be a, a more interesting life story to have spent 15 years at McKinsey and then X years at Google than to have spent 20 or 25 years uh, doing consulting. And that was ultimately what, uh, what led me to choose to come to Google. Darren, looking back at your journey, everything seems to fit together just so. But while you're in the thick of it and going to business school, trying to find your place in the world, getting into consulting, it had to have been stressful. Can you talk a little about the journey? Yeah, I think there's a bit, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bit of serendipity, probably a lot of serendipity that uh, happens in anyone's career, which I think to me is actually, um, uh, I think it, it's nice to remember that. You don't have to be overly stressed about exactly how your career is going to unfold. I would say, I, I always tell people when I talk about career uh, management, um, there's really only three things you can control pretty much in your life, certainly in your career, but really probably in your life. And so focus on those. The rest of the stuff just, just happens. Uh, those three things are skills. You can focus on what skills you build and how you invest your time to get better at certain things. And then my, my bias is you should invest in skills that, that you're excited to have as opposed to investing in skills you think will make you a lot of money or will be impressive to your family or friends. Uh, the second one is relationships. You can invest in getting to know people. You can invest in helping other people. Uh, in almost every situation, it was relationships that occurred through those types of investments that ended up opening doors that I could then step into. Uh, and third is the attitude. Uh, I find I work with people who are a glass half empty types of people and they're always looking for why something happened to them or what's bad about this situation. And there are people like I am, which tend to look at pretty much any situation and try to figure out what's good in it. And uh, many times that has been what's resulted in me being given opportunities that might not have otherwise come my way. And the good news about all three of those is those are three things that are 100% in your control. I love how thoughtful Darren is and his advice for thinking about your career. Darren also gives us something to aspire to. I don't know many people that could fly their plane to work, but that doesn't mean that you can't incorporate passion into a demanding life. We're now going to hear from my friend and former classmate, Matt Becker. I first met Matt through a wine club event at his apartment. I was exploring the place, as I do, and all over Matt's room were these amazing pictures of musicians, the Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, Rod Stewart, Billy Joel. I was like, wow. This guy must really like rock and roll. Then Matt came in. I quickly disarmed him by telling him how cool I thought the pictures were, to which he responded, thanks, I took them. I didn't know what to say. There's lots of interesting people in my class, but I had no idea that I was going to school with someone like this. I had to know more. It started for me when I was really young. I went to a concert with my dad and it was outdoors. There was a lot of really great visual aspect to it. It was during a sunset and it was the Steve Miller band. And for some reason, my dad had brought his camera with, and it was a fairly good camera, nothing too special. And I just grabbed it at one point during the concert and I started taking pictures. And then I just had this kind of 
realization at that moment for whatever reason that I really enjoyed doing that. And that must have been a light bulb moment for me because after that, I just started going to a lot more shows, bringing my camera along whenever I could sneak it in or, or, or um, they allowed cameras in some concerts. And I just took more and more photos and found that this just was just something that made me really happy. It was actually during high school, senior year of high school is when I got this phone call um, and it was really bizarre, but I got this phone call from the publicist for the band Boston, which is both my dad and I, one of our favorite bands, uh, this classic rock band. Um, had some massive hits in the 70s and they were back on the road and I had gone to one of their shows and taken some photos and I got a call from from Gail Parento who's their publicist and and has been with them a long time and she said um, a we really like your your photos and um, we're wondering if we can merch some of them for the lead singer and then B the Boston Globe is doing a story and we need some photos for that and I was just kind of blown away. And I think she could tell, I don't think she realized that I was 17. And I think at some point she must have realized that I was really young. And so she actually had the lead singer of Boston call in or somehow she conferenced us in together. So I'm sitting at home, right, in, in, my, in my bedroom, um, living as, as a 17 year old does with his parents. And my dad is in the other room. And at some point I was like, panicking trying to get him to pick up the other phone this is not a cell phone so it was like a, a landline if you can even imagine and um he, so he picks up and it's the lead singer of boston and it was really a cool moment and that was when i think it really transformed for me and i thought okay this is something i can do much more professionally after undergrad matt worked in politics and he used photography as his creative outlet i think the photography probably kept me sane if i think about it really um, because working on the Hill um, can be really stressful. You run into a lot of personalities. Um, it, you work really strange hours sometimes. We were in the government shutdown era as well. And it, yeah, well, it was definitely a stressful time. And I, I do think you're right in that having this outlet, I was, I, I remember, you know, leaving the, the Hill. I'd, I'd actually sometimes walk from Capitol Hill to the Verizon Center, which is a few blocks away in a different part of DC. And I'd go see Fleetwood Mac or whoever it was that night. And that would always be like, okay, now I just forget all of the stresses of the day and I do my thing and I get into that photo pit and I take photos for 15 minutes. And that, that 15 minutes is like the sort of aha moment when you're in, when you're in the zone, right? And and I think that continues for me when I go to edit photos. I also get that um, that feeling of I lose track of time. I'm just engaged so fully in the activity. Um, and it's really an enjoyable thing. If you can remember back to episode one, the reason I came to business school was to discover my authentic self, those in-the-zone moments, as Matt described. Matt now works at the credit reporting company Experian. So let's hear how he fits this passion into his life. The fact that it remains this, this hobby that I can do from time to time and I can fit it in where it, where it works with my schedule um, keeps it more fun. I'm not saying that I wouldn't enjoy it if it was my job and I did it every day, uh, but I kind of like the fact that I don't do it every day. Um, you know, I do it maybe two dozen times a year. I go to 
probably 25 to 30 shows a year. And that for me is kind of enough. After Anderson, did you think about getting a job in music or photography? I thought about the music industry, but I, I felt in some ways that it would be better to just keep those, those two worlds separate. I didn't, I didn't think that I would enjoy being in the music industry full time. Um, after working in politics, um, I kind of wanted to do something that was a bit less spotlight kind of a role where, you know, in politics, you're very much in the spotlight In entertainment and the media, you're very much in the spotlight. I work in technology. It's kind of in the background. And I like that. Um, you know, I like the fact that, um, I'm a bit behind the scenes when it comes to what I do, um, at Experian and even Experian as a company is a bit behind the scenes. Right. So I, I like being a little less, um, uh, a little less under that white hot spotlight when it comes to what I do full time. Um, and then I get kind of, you know, and I get enough excitement when it comes to, uh, going to, going to concerts and, and taking pictures. I think it's interesting that both Darren and Matt keep their passions separate from their day jobs, as it fuels their work-life balance. The escapism that I know they both feel, that in-the-zone moment, that only comes when you have balance. We're all told to follow our passions, and if your career doesn't fulfill that fire inside of you, then find a way to get it outside of work and fit it into your life. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it.